But that's what I mean by the trap of this world. Everything in this world leads to death. Everything. What's up, everybody, and welcome back to Scripture First, the podcast that explores how the Lutheran lectionary is working in your life. I'm your host, Mason Van Essen. What does it mean to follow Jesus? In this week's lectionary text, we hear three people say they will follow Jesus. The first says they'll follow Jesus wherever he goes. The second says they will follow Jesus after they've buried their father. And the third says they'll follow Jesus after they say goodbye to their family. Through these three examples, Lars Olson teaches us how Jesus depicts what following him looks like in this week's text, but also what it looks like for us today, and how it doesn't matter if you decide to follow Jesus or the Spirit calls you to it. The kingdom of God is for sinners. It's for you. Let's get to what it means to follow Jesus. Here's Luke chapter 9, verses 51 through 62. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem, and he sent messengers ahead of him. On their way, they entered a village of the Samaritans to make ready for him. But they did not receive him, because his face was set toward Jerusalem. When his disciples James and John saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them. Then they went on to another village. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, Follow me. But he said, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, No one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. And now on to this week's conversation. Welcome back to Scripture First. We have Lars Olson with us this week. Thanks for being here, Lars. Pastor Lars Olson. That's right. It is always good to be here with you. Thank you, Kiri, for recognizing me. (laughs) (laughs) We are in the ninth chapter of Luke, uh, Lars. It's a text that we kind of talked about beforehand, uh, how it's uh, a rebuking text, a a harsh text. There's not much gospel in it. Perhaps we can start with just uh, a little context into where we're at and where Christ is going, especially uh, within uh, Luke. Well, it is, there is a lot of Jesus in here, so the gospel is going to be found in here. But you're right, it is hard to hear it because there's so much rebuke and so much uh, destruction going on. Uh, we're in the, you're right, we're in the, in the um, ninth chapter of Luke. We're just coming after the um, transfiguration and Peter's confession of Jesus as, the, as Messiah and so as the Christ. And so now his face is turning towards Jerusalem, which means his ministry is now shifting towards the cross. 
Um, and he enters this area in Samaria, north of Israel, in order to um, make his face turn towards Jerusalem. doesn't quite say why they're going through Samaria, um, why that is the place they go, uh, but that's where this story ends up. So when the days drew near for him to be taken up, can I mean, that's verbiage, to, uh, like Jesus being resurrected, Jesus being taken up into heaven. Mm-hmm. What is being, for him to be taken up? referencing here. Right. So this is pointing towards the ascension, which is a really big deal for Luke and Acts, that Jesus ascends into heaven. And so that that idea of being taken up is pointing beyond both the cross and the resurrection into the ascension as the essential, um, one of the essential parts of Jesus' ministry, that he is taken up into heaven uh, after having completed all of the, all of his mission on earth. That's interesting that this got the gospel writer obviously knows the end of the story. Hmm. He's not giving a play by play. He's just inserting that detail to say, this is where it's taking place. But in the future, he's going to be taken up. He's dropping that hint well beyond, well before it actually happens. Right. Well, and this whole, this whole reading that we get really is reminiscent of Elijah's entire ministry. And Elijah, of course, is taken up in a chariot of fire. And so um, something about this text is, being, is pointing us to the stories of Elijah, where he calls down fire from heaven to consume his enemies, uh, where he goes and um, finds Elisha and gathers him to himself by, by choosing him and bringing him into this ministry. Uh, and Elisha even has words, uh, that's the Old Testament reading for today, mm-hmm. that sound a lot like the would-be followers in the second half of this, where it's, uh, yeah, I'll follow you when I get around to it. It's, uh, not yet. I'll, I have things to do before I can get there. Mm-hmm. And so this, this whole section really has something uh, to do with uh, contrasting and comparing Jesus with Elijah. Mm-hmm. So in verse 52, it says that he sent his messengers ahead of him. Are they talking about his disciples here? Yeah, so Jesus is sending out uh, his disciples. Uh, he's been doing this for uh, in the in the preceding chapters as well, sending out his uh, disciples at to to cast out demons, uh, to proclaim the message, uh, to make his way in the world. Uh, that is to uh, make sure that uh, the world starts to hear this even before his um, before his passion. Uh, the message is the important part. Mm-hmm. So, and here, um, right after that, it says that they entered the village of the Samaritans. So we hear about them. We know the infamous story about the Samaritan. And the we, good Samaritan? Yes. Infamous? What do you mean infamous? The good Samaritan. How is that infamous? Who, everyone knows it. That's not what infamous means. <laughs> yes, it's Famous. Okay, the famous anyway. <laughs> okay, so anyway. I don't know what Bible you're reading. <laughs> <laughs> the famous story about the Good Samaritan. <laughs> and um, I think sometimes people think a Samaritan is someone who is just that, someone who's giving themselves to others right. and very selfless. What does it actually mean? And what does it mean in the context of this famous story? <laughs> You're right. The Good Samaritan is the most famous um, Samaritan. And because we put the good in front of it, uh, people get the idea that all Samaritans are good. Um, And this one Samaritan in the parable goes and uh, picks up and shows mercy to the the man when, when the others would not. 
Um, Samaritans, however, are not just good people by their very nature. Uh, they're not more selfless than the priests and the Levites were or something like this. Um, they, are, they are the people uh, that live in the northern part of Israel that probably are half Jews, uh, that, that when uh, the northern kingdom was conquered, they intermixed with the, um, with the, with the uh, Syrians. And so they are kind of Jewish. They have some Jewish culture. They have some Jewish leanings, uh, but they are neither Jew nor Gentile. And so they are kind of ostracized from everybody, which creates a lot of tensions with the, with the Jewish people. The Samaritans are saying, uh, we, have a, we have a righteous claim to God up here, but you keep telling us we have to go to the temple, that yeah. Jerusalem is where it's all at. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so they're discounted greatly. And so Jesus is going to meet the Samaritans. He's going into their village in order to bring them the message of the kingdom of God. He's seeking out uh, uh, more than just Israel. Mm-hmm. And still, they won't accept him. They won't receive him in this. Mm-hmm. They don't. Uh, it's not like the Jews had a, hard part, ha- had a hard time with him, and now he's going to find others. No, everybody's having mm-hmm. a hard time mm-hmm. uh, listening and hearing and accepting Jesus. There's, it almost seems like... Uh, James and John are of, offended by this or surprised by this, or there's just, uh, they ask, Lord, do you want us to command fire to, to come down from heaven and consume them? And uh, it's, you you have to think, where do they get the audacity to think that they can do this? Seriously. I think it's more, Adam, that they're kind of looking for a reason to punish the Samaritans, yeah, right? Yeah. They're, they're, they might actually be expecting this, like, oh man, now's our opportunity. They won't accept Jesus. Now we really have them under uh, over a barrel and we can do whatever we'd like. And so they're looking to Jesus to say, remember what Elijah did when he called down fire? Mm-hmm. Let's me. do that. Yeah, let's let do that. Give it to me. Yeah. Give it to me. Let's do it. Right. So we, we briefly touched on this before we started recording, but how, what is the the... The commanding of fire. Are they literally able to do that? What what are the what is the implications of including that here? What do you mean? I mean, what it, you, you you touched on that this is Elijah is is connected to fire. Can you talk dive sure. into that a little bit? Yeah. So Elijah multiple times calls down fire upon his enemies in uh, First and Second Kings. It's uh it's something to behold. Every time there's a a contest or every time there's a problem, he's of course, Elijah is out there uh, fighting the good battle, bringing God's word to people who don't want to hear it, uh, including his own people. Uh, they're worshiping other gods, and uh, he calls down fire to consume generals and armies. He calls down fire to consume um, uh, uh, the uh, the offering on, on Mount Carmel. Uh, and so Elijah is then taken up uh, in a chariot of fire. Elijah and fire are very well connected. And again, this whole reading seems to be connecting Jesus in some way uh, to Elijah. But uh, Christ rebukes them. Yeah. He, he doesn't give into their fantasies or their sort of... Uh, right. Yeah. Instead of saying, you're right, you guys, thank you. Now you understand what my mission is. He says, you've got this completely wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've completely grown in the wrong direction. Uh, you've completely misunderstood what's happening here. I didn't come into Samaria uh, in order to um, consume and destroy them. I've come to expose their sin mm-hmm. and to save them. 
There is a textual variant um, from that doesn't exist in our Bible, so that's not translated. But usually in the Bible, you can see a little footnote, and Jesus says more than just he rebuked them, but it says that what Jesus says to them, which was, I don't know what kind of spirit you're about, but I did not come to consume, but to save. Um, I wouldn't spend a lot of time preaching on that, but it, it does help a little bit to understand what that rebuke is about. Thank you. I like when you guys translate. Mm -hmm. You and Sarah do that a lot. It's helpful. So then going on, um, they go to another village. And as they're going down the road, someone said, I will follow you wherever you go. And then Jesus obviously starts going into this whole fanciful fairy tale world where he says that foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. Can we talk about that a little bit? Yeah. Well, you know, we see that James and John and the disciples are following Jesus, but they haven't really understood his, his mission or his purpose yet. Right. Um, Now we have somebody else coming in, trying to invite themselves in saying, uh, look at how pure my heart might be. I will follow you anywhere. And Jesus, uh, turns and points out to them that he has no place in this world. But he world. didn't say, look at how pure my heart is. He right. just he said, that. I will follow you wherever you go. I will follow you. No, he just walks right up to him and invites himself in and said, and pledges his undying okay. uh, uh, undying um, uh, commitment to Jesus. But at the right? same time, there are people in some of these stories who've been much more blunt than this man who Jesus Jesus doesn't tell him recognizes. not to do it. He just tells him, this is what life looks like following me. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Right? Yeah, right. Uh, you don't know what you're asking for. I have no place in this world. Foxes have holes. Birds have nests. I have no place. And look what's happened with him. Nobody receives him. Mm-hmm. He was rejected in his hometown mm-hmm. amongst, the, amongst his hometown Jewish folks. Uh, now he's being rejected in, um, in Samaria. He's going to be utterly rejected in um, in Jerusalem. So he's mm-hmm. essentially just depicting what will happen. What if is, he what follows is, what Christ. is happening though too? I mean both, right? Yeah, yes. What yeah. will happen to him? Do you understand what you're saying? You're saying by following me, you don't get that you will have no place here. Mm-hmm. The world will be gone to you and you will be only in the kingdom of God. Mm-hmm. But it's interesting because he's also and we'll to hear about the last two here in a second, but he's the only one of the people who say they want to follow Christ who doesn't give um, a, but I need to do this, or but da 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 da. He right. just says that, so Jesus just lays it out for him. Right. This is what's going to happen. Right. Or will happen. We happening. don't get if he does follow or doesn't. Yeah. Uh, but simply Jesus is is telling the world, this is what it looks like to follow me. Mm-hmm. It's to have nothing in the world except for me. What's that mean for us today? What I mean, what's that mean for Christians or for, for preachers to actually preach that text? What's it mean to... Well, you can imagine how some people take Jesus to mean, uh, I'm going to keep my life here and I'm going to add a little bit of Jesus into it. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, I'm going to keep all the good that I have and sprinkle a little in a, a bit of Jesus here and there to make it even better. Rather than what Jesus is constantly telling people, and this is a very good example of it, is uh, to follow me means to lose yourself, lose your family, lose this world, lose the, the grip of it altogether. Mm-hmm. Um, and we think of those things as our life. But uh, Jesus is pointing out that those are the traps of this world, mm-hmm. to get stuck in a life that is um, um, connected to 
your family so that you can't let them go. Uh, that would hold you um, from hearing God's word for you because you have to go take care of things, even important things like burying your 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 father. Um, but being absent from all those, losing all of that in order to have the kingdom of God as your as the one thing that holds on to you. That's what Jesus is after. Um, and so. It doesn't mean that there aren't vocations. It doesn't mean that there isn't work to do in the world. It doesn't mean that there aren't things to be uh, enjoyed in the or world. Or families to love. And families to love. Mm-hmm. But he is saying uh, following Jesus means losing all those things is going to happen. Mm-hmm. It's going to happen whether you follow Jesus or not. Yeah. But yeah. in following him and having him claim you, well, you're not going to lose him after all. Mm-hmm. Hmm. So he, uh, the story continues on to another. He said, follow me. But he said, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. But as far as you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. So again, as you're saying, uh, Christ isn't even letting him bury uh, so sad. his own well, his own I, father, his bloodline. I mean, and like, I, I, the the difference between the first, first person and the second person is I will follow you wherever you go. And then... Jesus says to the second one, follow me. So it's the invite of Jesus saying, follow me or command, maybe not an invite. And the first one was saying, I'm going to follow you. So it's both things happen regardless of whether you're the one following Jesus or Jesus <laughs> is the one telling you to follow him. Yeah, Like right. you're going to lose either way. But isn't it interesting how we make that distinction, how we think it's something important if I choose to follow Jesus rather than it's just following Jesus, whether uh, it whether Jesus called you into it or whether mm-hmm. you decided. We always want to put it on, put that back onto uh, who made that call, rather than who gave you the kingdom. Mm-hmm. Well, it's right. Jesus yeah. always giving the kingdom. Mm-hmm. So, what does it mean though when he says, um, "Let the dead bury their own dead"? Because that just sounds so harsh. But that's what I mean by the trap of this world. Everything in this world leads to death. Everything. Mm-hmm. And so anybody trapped in this, in this world, in, in the living of, of this kingdom, this worldly kingdom, is trapped in death. And so Jesus is saying, let the dead bury their dead. They have no other life to do. There's nothing else for them. But for you, you Christians who hear God's word, who hear Jesus speak, you have another life. It's not just dead, bearing dead, waiting for death to come. It's mm-hmm. now he's turning the kingdom around. So it's not how we live in this world, life until death. Mm-hmm. The life of the Christian starts at baptism. And so it's death until life that never ends. So that's when he's what he means when he's saying proclaim the kingdom of God. That's what the kingdom of God that's is. That's the life. The kingdom of God that is life eternal. That's what he's after to give them. Okay. There yeah. is so much conflict around Jesus and so many people always trying to get in to say, uh, I did this for you or I, I can give this to Jesus um, rather than him uh, hearing, you look, I mean, I'm talking specifically about James and John here now who are saying even, we're going to do Jesus a big favor by calling down uh, fire upon our enemies and, and showing that he was good and right. And, uh, and Luther even points this out, that that, uh, that even shows the evil of your intent and your will. Yeah. Um, that you're, instead of saying, uh, I am led by the Spirit and I've come to save, instead we're looking to consume, send fire upon our enemies to prove our righteousness. 
it is uh, fascinating how quickly we turn to violence, uh, how soon we turn towards uh, with anger towards the people who disagree with us, maybe even vehemently, Mm -hmm. rather than what it says in Galatians 5, being led by the Spirit, yeah. uh, being freed from this world for the, for freedom's sake, so that the Spirit would have his rule upon us. Giving the gifts of the Spirit um, in Galatians 5 is finally what gives us the peace and patience and joy of doing this ministry and living the life of Christ in this world. And I always want to remind people that um, the gifts of the Spirit are given uh, not for you, <laughs> but for your neighbors, uh, like a tree bearing fruit. Uh, the apple tree doesn't get to enjoy the apples. Everybody comes and steals the apple off and eats it and gets it. Uh, so uh, just because you are a patient person um, or you're a kind person or you're a joyful person, those gifts of the Spirit are not for your sake to say, I'm that person, but mm-hmm. to say, those are the things I have now to give to my neighbors. Mm-hmm. Uh, James and John were ready to call down fire to destroy rather than uh, to give them the kingdom because mm-hmm. the kingdom is given to those who are sinning against Christ. He has come to save them by giving his kingdom to those who reject him. Which is to your point earlier, Mason, when we were talking, uh, that isn't it ironic that Jesus has to go away? He has to go to the cross. He has to be abandoned in order to save those who are saying, I will always be with you. Mm-hmm. So he continues on. Another said, this is verse 61. Another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me say first, let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. And this is the end of our text. <laughs> Isn't that a joyful thing? Yeah. Uh, so, sweet. so it's obviously saying just keep looking forward when you're plowing, right? Yeah. Right. I exactly. So this is far. I don't plow, please. <laughs> Mason. <laughs> yeah. What, I mean, what he's saying, is, of course, is you can't, you can't have your uh, one foot in each kingdom. Yeah. Once the kingdom comes to you, uh, you, you, you have to go forward in it. As soon as you go backwards. But sometimes saying farewell allows you to go forwards. Right. Goodbye to this world. Yeah. Farewell. Uh, I have no more use for you. It's like he can say farewell to his home. So Jesus here isn't saying that he can't say farewell because it sounds like he's lecturing him because he wants to go say farewell to those at his home. Um, Yes, because Jesus has called him into the kingdom. He said, here it is, your whole new life. And he says, "Uh, can I just have a few more minutes to go and take care of my affairs in the old world? And Jesus is actually saying, uh, no. you're unfit yet. You have no place here. But Jesus is going to make that place for you. I'm struggling. My the worry, sin is working against uh, me I right know. now because I really want to say bye to my family. <laughs> if, I, yeah. if I'm going to life, at, like, oh. Yeah. So, Carrie, if you leave here tonight and yeah. you are in a car accident oh, and those you love, you never had a chance to say yeah. goodbye to. Yeah. The kingdom is still yours. That's yeah. the promise. It's not about what you do or what you want. Um, okay. You please go every night and tell your family. Uh, goodbye. <laughs> goodbye. I'm going to bed. I hope to see you tomorrow. And if I don't, the kingdom of heaven is yours and mine. Jesus has done it all. I call a psych. This is basically <laughs> what we do when we pray with our children at night, yeah. right? Yeah, we say, I mean, we're, we're laughing at this right now, but what you just said was actually a very beautiful promise. Yes, it is. Uh, I see you now. I'm going to tell you farewell. Yeah. Every time I leave, because I don't know if I'll see you again. Mm-hmm. 
but I trust that uh, that the kingdom of God will keep us surrounded, not just in this world, but in the next. That is the peace and joy that Paul is speaking of in Galatians 2, to be absorbed into Christ, the kingdom of God, so fully that all of our lives are outpouring of love and generosity to those around us. Amen. And on that note, we've reached the end of this week's episode, my friends. Thank you to Lars Olson for teaching us what it means to follow Jesus. The kingdom of God is given to those who are sinning against Christ. Jesus has come to save those who have rejected him. We may not know when we'll see each other again, but we can have faith that the kingdom of God is for me and it's for you. Luther House of Studies' mission is to strengthen Lutheran leadership and ministries for the proclamation of the gospel. We wouldn't be able to serve current and future ministry professionals, as well as members of the church, without the generous support of people just like you. If you or your congregation is interested in sponsoring an episode of Scripture First, please send our co-director, Sarah Stenson, an email at sarah.stenson at lutherhouseofstudy.org. That's sarah.stenson at lutherhouseofstudy.org. You can find our email in the show notes or find more information about supporting Luther House of Study at lutherhouseofstudy.org. Thanks again for joining us this week. Remember, Jesus gives you the kingdom of God. We'll see you next time on Scripture First.